This is a crap show today. Your mom writes books! Listen. This is Your Mom Has No Internet. What? And writes books. Without the internet. You don't need the internet to write books. You've got Microsoft Word. So... Today, we thought we would talk about, um, have a little bit of an author life because we've had a bunch of craft episodes. So we're going to have an author life episode. We're going to talk about the good and bad things about being an author. We said who we were, right? It's been so long. I'm Caitlin McFarland. I'm Charlie Ann Holmberg. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Whatever. It's the best. Hanging out at Walmart again. (laughs) In the parking lot. In the parking lot. We are here so much and we always park in the same spot and I just wonder like if they've noticed us yet on their security footage because <laughs> they think you're staking out the place because we uh, we come here every Wednesday at a certain time to play D&D and we're here for the same amount of time and then we come here and then we're here when I need to record the podcast we're back and like sometimes we just come and park here and use the internet for like an hour or so and there's nobody else nobody we're we're very far from the walmart so like we're way back in a corner where nobody else ever parks in this whole row anyways listen make make me be your one call when you get arrested and i'll and i'll record it and we'll put it up no no it, i have a plan if the police come knocking on our car door because also just so you guys know this is a really fun thing um our windows get really fogged up just sitting here for a long time and so on Wednesday my husband and I are in here together playing D&D and we were just sitting in the front like he's still sitting in the driver's seat and I'm still sitting in the passenger seat yeah the windows get so foggy but like my mom is an emergency dispatcher and so if a police officer comes and knocks on our window I'm just gonna be like hi officer I think you know my mom oh my gosh can you please just like put your hand on the foggy window and drag it down like in Titanic if you think I haven't already done that several times you're mistaken Anyway, so I'm thinking about what's good and what's bad about being an author, but I realized that depending on where you are in your career, so many of the things can fit into both. It's very Venn diagram. Now, I thought of like, so one thing I thought of as far as bad things is like something specific, I guess, is like when you're an author, you're self-employed, so like you don't get you don't get like to just kind of clock in and clock out. You have to do your own taxes. You have to do your own insurance. You have to do oh man all of that stuff. We don't have to like go into that, but like I'm just going to put that in the con. That's a tick in the con box. Let's move on to something else because I hate talking about insurance and taxes. Listen, I literally had this discussion with somebody the other day because we were at the gym. And she's like, oh, it's super nice that you and your husband can just come to the gym together. I'm like, yeah, it's because I don't have a real job because I'm self-employed. Because when you're self-employed, mm. you make your own schedule. And sometimes that can be super duper nice. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, it's like two boxes. So being self-employed, being your own boss is super nice. You don't have to report to anybody. Yes. I mean, you report to like your editor and your agent if you're traditionally published, but it's not quite the same. Like they're not like lording over you. Yeah, but it's not like a nine to five. You're not clocking in. They don't expect you to be available at all hours. You just kind of get yeah. to do what you do, which I also semi have as somebody who has a remote job so like I just do I work when I wanna as long as it gets done within you know like like I have a weekly thing basically I have to have x amount of done every week and so 
Yeah, definitely. So even if you're writing for like I am writing for an app or something that I would also put in the pro. Yeah, like Caitlin will work at like 2 a.m. And that totally jives with her. And I could never do that. If I had a job, if my job required me to work night shifts, I would be dead. Yes. Yes, she would. But that's what's great about it is like I can work at eight o'clock in the morning if I want to because I'm self-employed. But that's a really good point about taxes, too. So self-employed taxes suck. Mm. Yeah. When you're so when you have a real job <laughs> and yes, this is a real job, but you guys know we're talking about like the nine to five when you have a real job. Yeah. Um, a traditional job, let's call it a traditional job. Yeah. Uh, your employer actually pays part of your taxes on your behalf. Like by having you hired, they are paying part of your taxes. And so you pay part of your taxes and your employer pays part of your taxes. This is uh, me not being a CPA, so I can't be more specific than that. (laughs) But when you're self-employed, you have to pay both parts of your taxes. So you actually pay more when you're self-employed. You think it would be less because like when you're self-employed, like you're um, salary isn't set, mm-hmm. you know, like you make some one year, you make more the next year, you make less the next year. Like it's not set in stone, which is also very true of being an author, but you have to pay more in taxes. Well, one would think America and capitalism would reward entrepreneurs by taxing them less, but no, no, they don't. <laughs> and then like, like Caitlin said, is insurance, health insurance is my number one monthly expense. That's the thing I spent the most money on is health insurance because we don't get it through another company. Um, which is definitely a downside as well. And again, that's a very United States specific yeah. thing. Like if you're in Canada, that's not going to really apply to you. And taxes are different in different countries as well. But we're in the United States. I think a lot of our listeners are in the United States. So yeah, yeah. self-employed is fun. Yeah. Yep. Pros and cons. I think it also depends on Indian trad too. Because well, even in traditional publishing, like, depending on who your publisher is, makes your taxes harder or easier. So when I first joined APUB, which is Amazon Publishing, and this is the traditional side, not the indie side, they would send me like my forms, like a real, in a real job, they would send me my forms in January and like tell me how much I made and stuff. And then a few years later, they stopped doing mm-hmm. that. So it's my job to remember how much money I made. <laughs> And I have to report that. Whereas like other traditional publishers, like they'll still send you all the tax forms that you need and there's less effort you might need to do. And other, again, like especially small publishers who might not be sending you all the forms that you need and you have to do more work. If you're indie, you have a lot more work to do with taxes as well. Mm -hmm. Unless like you're making under the threshold for where you have to pay on it. At which point, you know, that's not, I mean, you're not having a, a survivable income. So you would have another income that you're paying taxes on anyway. One hopes. One hopes. So fun stuff. Uh, We really should do a taxes episode to explain it to you guys, but we are not smart. (laughs) Well, I'll, you know what, Charlie, if you want to write that one down as an episode for you to do by yourself. (laughs) But I don't know. I'd have to have a CPA on here and talk about it. Oh, man. That sounds like, listen, you guys, there are a few things that just... I immediately turn off my brain if somebody starts talking about it and it's working out cars and anything to do with money or finance. I just, I cannot care. I've tried and like the depth of my apathy just becomes absolute rejection of any knowledge somebody tries to put in my head about it. (laughs) No, I totally get that though. When people start talking about like a lot of math, 
or Paul, like certain things in politics, I'm just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or like Jordan will start talking to somebody about like Magic the Gathering. And I'm like, all right, let's talk about something else, please. Yep. Yep. So I, I personally will not be involved in the Texas episode. (laughs) If Charlie makes me do it, I'll fall asleep on mic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But with taxes, I mean, and this is, again, one of those things is just in the middle of the Venn diagram is like the money. Um, This can be a really good or a really bad thing. Um, I think for most authors, it honestly, guys, for most authors, it probably leans more towards bad. You can make a lot of money. It's like, oh, yeah, like if you're a product manager, the range for being a product manager is 50 to $150,000 a year. Like that's your range. But if you're like, oh, if you're an author, it's zero to like 50 million. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's such a range. Like there's no guarantee in anything. And the majority of authors make, I think, what was it? Less than $1,000 a year. I have a chart. I want to say it's less than, less than 5,000 and then, or something. And it's like 90 some percent make less than 12,000. And then you've got like, you know, your your group that's actually making a living a living wage somewhere in there. And then you've got like your four billionaire authors that's like Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, friggin' Nora Roberts and, yeah. <laughs> you know, whoever else. So I have a chart up um, that I got. And this is from 2014. So it's about eight years old. Mm. Um, but this is from digitalbookworld.com. And he made a chart that shows what an aspiring author makes versus self-published versus traditionally published versus hybrid. I do think this would be a little bit different now because I think even in the last eight years, self-publishing has really boomed. Well, and I think that COVID changed so much of everything in the economy that like any chart that's pre-COVID is just like, who knows? Yeah. I wonder if there's a new chart. I should look. Okay. So about at 2014, the it says aspiring authors uh, are making zero. Ninety percent of aspiring authors make zero dollars on their writing, which makes sense. Um, traditional published, let's see, twenty percent of of traditional published authors are making zero dollars, which is uh, not good. That's one in five, friends. Yeah, that's one in five. And then I have to read a chart. Hold on, math is happening. Forty percent, about forty percent, and thirty five percent, about thirty five percent of traditionally published authors were making. $1 to $999 a year. I'm actually surprised it's this low. One in five are making zero, and then one in three-ish are making less than a 1000 Is that correct? Yeah. Um, 10%. Above that, 10% of traditionally published authors in 2014 were making three to $5,000 a year. And then we have about 8% look like they're making... Where is this color on this? Why is that color there? I don't know. Anyway, the people, let's say, how much would you say a livable? I guess it depends on where you're living, but a livable wage, people making $40,000 or more is like 8% of this chart. And that's $40,000 is definitely not a living wage if you are living in any city, unless you're maybe single, I guess. Um, If you have a family and you're hoping to support them, I don't know, become a mechanic. (laughs) (laughs) or maybe but like yeah because I would and I personally fall into for most years since I've become an author I would either fall into the one that's between one and a thousand right or I'd fall into the one that's between 
three and five thousand on my best years so far. Yeah. Which like and it has a lot to do with like who my publisher was and what their expectations were and their you know, their business model and stuff. And and that's the thing too. A lot of times people place here's one thing that kind of sucks about being an author. People will assume that the, that the uh, monetary success of your book is equivalent to its quality. False. Oh, yeah. False. Listen, there's a lot of bad books Ooh. out there that make tons of money and a lot of fantastic books that make nothing. Yeah, there's a big difference between sellable or like highly, hi- widely appealing, I guess, purchasable, whatever, and like good and sometimes they do coincide and overlap but a lot of the time they do not so oh i thought i had this chart i was going to tell you guys about but it's about the number of books being published not how much money people are making oh it's a high number a ridiculous number of books are being published which is i think part of the problem but also if it's self-publishing then like that's not a problem because people can do what they want but traditional publishers i feel like should probably just fewer publish uh fewer more high quality books and see how that does for them yeah, and like and on this, I mean, traditional published authors are making the most money on this. But again, I would love to see, I, I was just Googling it, seeing if I could find a new chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a quick Google, I can't. Mm-hmm. But I I wonder if self-published or hybrid authors are now making more. Than, oh, you know what? Actually, on this chart, on the 2014 one, hybrid authors make the most money. Mm-hmm. So traditionally published is second, then self-published is third. But I, I would love to see what those numbers look like now because I bet they're different. Well, because remember, too, if you're a trad pub author, the first person that you're making the most money is your publisher, not yourself. Mm-hmm. You're making your publisher money and then they're giving you a percentage of that. Indie authors and hybrid authors are just paying themselves, which I mean, they're still paying, you know, Amazon or whoever, like 30 percent or whatever it is. But. Yeah. The thing is with Amazon, still a much better way to get paid than a publisher. Yeah. And the thing with Amazon is that like, oh, you get like a 70% royalty on Amazon, but then to to promote your book on Amazon, you have to pay for Amazon ads. And so a lot of that money just goes right back into Amazon anyway. So I don't really know how exactly it would balance out. But yeah, um, on this chart, I do make a livable we- um, living. Wow. Did I say livable? I don't know. Let's start over. <laughs> on this chart, I do make a livable wage living living wage living wage and so that is really fortunate and i'm in the place where i did have a real job before i became an author and there was about a six month gap between me having a real job and me getting my first paycheck not counting in advance which wasn't like super high it was my first book and my husband worked in that gap and so i was able to do that which is super nice um so it is possible Again, my income varies widely depending on the year. Like it will be like, you would be shocked to see how much it varies. (laughs) Cause like, there'll be like one year where I make hot bank. And then the next year I made 50% of what I made the year before. Like it just fluctuates a ton. And, um, which is another con of being an author for sure. And the whole self you don't get paid every two weeks. No matter where you are, you don't get paid every two weeks. The most frequently you can get paid is if you're with Amazon, APUB, or KDP. So in these two, uh, you get paid every month. Um, yeah. And you see how much you're going to make, I think, a month in advance. I mean, you see how many sales you made two months in advance, but you see how much money you made a month in advance. So you can kind of plan around it. 
a lot of traditional authors only get paid. We talk about this a lot, by the way, in our money episode, which I think is our second ever episode. But a lot of mm-hmm. traditional authors get paid either every six months or every quarter, and they just have to make it work. Yep. I got paid every quarter, and that was considered like a newer business model authors who are with like really traditional publishers and like there's traditional publishing and then there's really traditional publishing and those really traditional publishers only pay you every six months yeah and you know not to make this about money but there's one of the big five the people who work for them are on strike today Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume that we can say who it is. It's Harper Collins, but the people who work. Yeah, I mean, it's in the news. Okay. The people who are at Harper Collins are on strike because even just the people who work for the publisher aren't getting paid enough. Well, here's the thing. Here's my thing that whatever, like, I'm just going to say, um, traditional publishing probably can't pay them enough because it's not making enough because they're doing it wrong. Yeah. Their models are just prehistoric. And Mm -hmm. they just refuse to catch up with the times. And so they're not able to pay people. They have to keep firing people as far as I know. Yeah. So like. I agree. And I also think part of the problem is that like so many of them are based in New York and it's so expensive to live in New York. Yeah. You know, it's like have more working from home, like move out of New York. They'll save so much money. But there's something about New York. You know, it's like the New York Times bestseller list. There's something about being a New York Times bestseller that just means more than being like a USA Today bestseller or a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I feel like it's the same way with publishing. Like, oh, but if you're not based out of New York, are you even a publisher? Can we all just stop romanticizing New York? Like, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I felt like I visited for 36 hours once. Listen, if you're in New York, I'm sure it's lovely. Again, I only saw part of Manhattan. That was the only place I was in. But it just felt like a cement block of unhappiness to me. Well, look, here's a salty opinion that I have. <laughs> so much so many movies and so much writing and so much stuff is based in New York because that's where people move to be artistic. And then they they love the city, which I totally get. Love where you live. And then they write about it. But there's a disproportionately high number of movies and books and things that take place in New York and L.A. because that's where people who are in the entertainment industry live. The yeah. rest of us, uh, I'm good. Like... Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It kind of depends because, I mean, if I wanted to get really serious with songwriting, I would have to move to L.A. or Nashville because, like, you can't just, like, break into songwriting. I mean, breaking into the publishing industry is hard. Breaking into the songwriting industry is even harder. And you have to do it by people, you know, you don't query, you know, but it's like I'm and like they make it you have to move there. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's just things in the entertainment industry that are very similar. It's like you it has to be, you know, you have to live there. And like people live in like. 300 square foot apartments. Oh, I know. Well, and here's the thing. And I get, I do actually get the networking thing, but I feel like now in this like remote kind of job thing that we're seeing in a post COVID world where people have realized like, oh, I actually don't need to live in a city and to do what I want to do. I can live wherever I want to. And it's cheaper to live elsewhere. I'll be interested to see how that shifts. But this doesn't have much to do with our actual topic. No, this is a little (laughs) bit of a segue. But I mean, it just is like if you made like a New York salary and you lived remote, like where Caitlin is, like Mm -hmm. you would be very comfortable. (laughs) I would be the king of this city. (laughs) No. Well, that's we can actually segue this into something that is positive about being an author is that you, generally speaking, as the author person and not like the business type person, like agents 
people who work for publishers, they do tend to live in those like centers of commerce and stuff. As the author, you get to be the hermit who lives wherever you want, yes. especially now that you can just email your manuscript to people mm-hmm. for free. Like you just get to live wherever the heck face you want to. And that's and super nice. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like once upon a time, like Jordan would love to be a park ranger, right? Jordan, my, my lover slash husband. But we were saying like, you know, I don't want to move, but I mean, if we ever did move, if he was suddenly the park ranger of like Death Valley in California or one of these other like national parks in the middle of nowhere, we could move. It wouldn't affect my work or my income because I just sit in my basement and write like you can be wherever you want. So that's a real I don't I had not even thought about that one. So that's a really great pro. Yeah, which I mean, literally, I moved to the middle of the forest and I'm still working. Like you can exist wherever you can take a computer as a writer or typewriter if you're one of those, I guess. But, you know, you do have to drive to Walmart for internet, so. (laughs) Someday. (laughs) Someday Kayla will have internet at her house. Oh my gosh. Well, but that is the thing, though. Even where I live in this super, super rural place, they are, my parents are expecting the internet to come out to their house in the next few months. Really? Good. Yeah. Hopefully. Everyone pray. Or send vibes or whatever you Pray for Caitlin. Yeah. Pray for the internet. Yeah, like they're supposed to get high speed internet pretty soon. Like I've seen trucks out along the super rural twisty road that we drive down to get home. Like the internet is going everywhere is the other thing. And so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you really you really can't write from anywhere. And you know, if you're an author who's purely just emailing your stuff in or or if you're just posting it yourself or whatever and you only need the internet on occasion, I need it more frequently because of the app thing. But like, yeah. um, if I just needed it once a month or whatever, you just drive to your library. It's, it's not that big of a deal. So that's yeah. a pro. Yeah, definitely. And actually where I thought you were going, because when you were talking about the business side and agents and editors, this is where I thought you were going, is that when you are an author, you get to just be creative. Like if you are traditionally published, I should say, if you're a traditionally published author, you don't have to worry about the the banking and the selling and all that stuff you get to just be at your house and write your book and that's really nice they do ask you to do more of the marketing and participate in like social media stuff and stuff these days i feel like but tell me can i tell you something though i learned here let me actually pull it up so i can quote exactly what it is there is this marketing podcast i recently discovered right here okay it is called Novel Marketing Podcast, okay? And it's like the longest running novel marketing podcast there is. Ooh. And he has an episode from this January of this year called Why Most Authors Don't Need Social Media in 2022. And it actually is really fascinating. I, there's a couple things I might be like, well, this. Like he gives an example of something with Billie Eilish. I'm like, well, she's not an author, though. She's a musician. But um, it was a really interesting le- uh, listen. So I really recommend you listen to Novel Marketing Podcast. Um, if you go to Spotify and you just type in why most authors don't need social media in 2022, you'll find it. And it was a really interesting listen about how it doesn't do that much. And he actually talks about some red flags about if publishers require you to do certain things with like social media, it could actually be a red flag. And I found this very interesting. So it's definitely worth the listen. But yeah, if you're an indie author, um, you do still get to have that that plus of being really creative and getting to dive into that kind of stuff. But you're also you you have to take care of your business side of everything too. 
And a lot of times uh, indie authors write to market. And if you really like what's in the market, then perfect. If you don't, then that can be a, a downside. If I only could write to what was in market, uh, I would be a little sad. Honestly, I think a lot of what is at least selling really well in indie right now, I could get on board with. Um, because so much of it is romantic fantasy, and I love romantic fantasy. I would say romantic fantasy is the thing right now. But I think, I would say indie authors, even ones who are writing to market, are writing to market within their specific genre as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So, like, people who are writing romantic fantasy have been writing romantic fantasy. I don't think they'll suddenly switch to, like, sci-fi or, like, thrillers if if romantic fantasy goes out. I think they'll still write romantic fantasy you know what i'm saying i do know but i do know some authors some indie authors who do write actually sci-fi or thrillers who are kind of like making themselves go to the romance route because they're trying to make money well romance has always been in why are people acting like this is new have we not told you all that romance is a billion dollar a year industry specifically fey romance (laughs) well this year yeah in a publishing world that cannot stop flailing around in its own inability to make money romance still and always has sold suck it publishing industry you've never respected us <laughs> that's true though <laughs> um uh but yeah and then okay again this is something and i a lot of this depends on how you publish too is the control the amount of control you have the amount of control that i have um being i am technically traditionally published but i am again with amazon and so a lot of people consider APUP still not traditional, but I'm like, well, what are they then? But they give me a lot more leeway than a lot of the really staunch traditional publishers do, but I don't have as much leeway as I would have if I were indie. And most of the time, I like it that way. I'm fine with it. There have been a couple of times where I'm like, well, I wish I could I could say this about like a cover or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually really comfortable with where I am. But some people, like Caitlin, really like having a lot of control over everything that their book is doing. And so Me? if you're indie, what? <laughs> I've been traditionally published. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Tell them what this is about. <laughs> I'm not... T- Caitlin just like just Caitlin's just very opinionated about everything that goes on with her book. <laughs> Caitlin said, "This is what this is what I believe is being referenced right now." Charlie said, "Hey, Kai has short brown hair and blue eyes, right?" And I said, <laughs> "No, she has black hair and sea green eyes, as described in my book many times." And Charlie was like, mm, "I don't think so." And I was like, "You, my characters better look like they're supposed to look like on my cover. I'll be upset." <laughs> That actually, that is a conversation we have. That's not what I'm even thinking about. No, I don't know what you're talking about then. I just wanted to say about Amazon people saying that they're not a traditional publisher, which I do think that's something that like Charlie doesn't love, right? Because I feel like, yes, yeah, Amazon is a traditional publisher, just like my publisher Karina is a, was a traditional publisher. Karina is actually an imprint of Harlequin, which is an imprint uh, or which is owned by HarperCollins. They are traditional, but like I said earlier, there's traditional traditional and there's kind of like these new traditional, I'll call them publishers, where they're still doing the things that trad publishers do, where they're coming up their cover, they're paying for marketing, they're paying for edits, they're paying for all that stuff. And you basically get just a percentage, you get your royalties, but they are they are doing things slightly differently than the old traditional traditional publishers. This is a really great segue into something that I think a lot of authors get, I think even very successful authors will get this at least at first. So this is what I consider negative, And that is not being taken seriously in your job. Yes. 
oh, what do you do? Like sometimes every now and then you get someone's like, oh, I'm an author. Oh, that's so cool. What do you write? Blah, blah, blah. It's like a lot of times like, oh, what do you do? I was like, oh, I write books for a living. It's like, hmm, that's cute. Like, are you published? Like, oh, like, uh. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like people just like think that like you're just this like precious little like hobbyist in the basement who just slaps <laughs> Stuff up on Amazon. Oh my sweet yeah, summer exactly. child. You, that's what you get. You get <laughs> yeah. like, oh bless your heart. It's kind of reactions, like often. Yeah, and it's super annoying. Yeah. Oh my, tied to that, my least favorite thing is getting like, oh you're an author. I'm gonna write a book. Right. And I'm like, are you like, are you because I've spent like 14 years practicing this. Yeah. And working on it and learning mm-hmm. about it and oh you just want you're gonna you're just gonna you're gonna write a book like and I don't here's the thing I don't mean that about people who genuinely love stories and genuinely love writing like I am not trying to say that because like I do have I have some friends who have been inter- like you know kind mm-hmm. of interested in it I'm not talking about those people who are genuinely interested in writing a book and telling stories I'm talking about the people who after they oh my sweet summer child you then tell you they're Mm -hmm. gonna write a book those people who who simultaneously don't respect your craft and think that they're just gonna come in and do it like really i was thinking about becoming a surgeon tomorrow (laughs) in my spare time like not that it takes that kind of finesse or whatever to sell a book but like it does take a certain amount of dedication for most people and like then there are the special unicorn people who just do like one off write a book and make everyone else angry but for most people to write a book that is coherent that is well done that is well thought out that is clever that is layered that (laughs) i was gonna swear that stuff takes work (laughs) um you know what's so funny it's like i get that a lot like oh that's cool where can i find it and then i just like this is just what i say now like the library like just and then they're like oh like it's a real book like what did you think it was (laughs) i don't know when i say like like that's i get that a lot like oh like they're surprised when i say yeah you can get it at the library where books are and i don't even get to say that i'm just like you can't but I try to say it to them like like it's too special <laughs> do it and then I feel good about myself like it's hidden from them <laughs> even people who aren't published if they say that they like to write they're still gonna get that sweet summer child thing it's like when someone says like oh I just want to I just want to be a singer mm-hmm. you know like oh that's cute you know like I mean I probably absolutely do this to other people because because and you know I guess we should take a moment to like step back and say it is because it is impossibly hard to make a living doing something creative because not only do you have to be talented but we live in a society especially currently where people believe that they should get art and entertainment for free they there are so many people who so deeply believe that and it's like okay my friend you don't if you can't if the artist cannot support themselves enough to get good at what they do, you're not going to get anything good anymore. And we're going to be drowning in a world of content with no real art anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sort of where we are. <laughs> that is, that is unfortunately a mentality. Like if you guys get on like Twitter and find all these big threads about um, piracy and stuff, so many people like have that mentality that, that art should be free or that like, 
they're the exception they can mm. take things and stuff like that and yeah it, it does it makes it hard for people in yeah. any creative field to be successful yeah and so yeah definitely put that down in the cons column that like when you're a writer when you're a creative of any sort there is this sense of entitlement to your your brain thoughts that other people have that they just mm -hmm. deserve to have those for freezies because it's especially since the internet i think that visual artists deal with this so much as well in musicians where it's just like well i just download it so like you know like because it's not tangible because they didn't have to go buy a thing they feel like yeah. it should be free anyways i feel yeah. like we've been kind of like ranty <laughs> i wonder if we should try to focus a, a little more on um, on the positives a couple of positive things before we wrap it up like what do we love about being writers authors so I really love that I can just write whatever I want. I mean, w with a caveat, if I started writing, um, I don't know, like magical starfish who murder people and then it's like a weird dinosaur erotica, like my publisher would raise an eyebrow at me, right? I feel like I do have a lot of means to express myself and it really blows my mind that I can do that and make a living off of it. Like even now, like so many, so many years later, it, it just, I, it blows my mind. Like, oh, I can do this and I can put it out there and people I don't even know will read this book. And that's, cr it's crazy. Even like with just Keeper of Enchanted Rooms that's out right now, I am super, super surprised at how well it's doing. And I'm super surprised at the nice things people have said about it. I mean, people say mean things too. I just don't read them. So just live in my little echo chamber. No, no, only nice things. <laughs> only nice things. Um, that's really awesome. Again, I love that I have a schedule that I can work around. I I love the creative process. I, I like how it works. I like being able to go to conferences. I just, it's, I like working, you know, when I'm not suffering from intense burnout, which I was for a lot of this year. <laughs> I, I like my job. I like going to work. I like being able to daydream and then actually like put it on paper and be able to make it a thing. Like it feels once it's on paper, it feels like it's real. It feels like it really happened. And I made that up and I am God. Um, <laughs> but it is really just like an amazing thing. And I feel like that's something that a lot of authors get. Like there's just this amazing kind of satisfaction that comes with being able to daydream up this other story that isn't real and being able to make it real and you did that yeah i think that's really good and also like because most writers start most writers not all most writers start as readers like for me there's satisfaction being able to create the story i most wanted to read um mm -hmm. that's something that i really enjoy and one thing we kind of like charlie mentioned that i don't think we did touch on was burnout as a negative I and mean, i don't want to like keep going with the negatives and stuff but like no that was the last thing on my list though was burnout so and again this is any creative any creative can oh absolutely there is i was just talking to my friend so my friend um that i play dnd with raylene who actually you guys are now familiar with nathan raylene is nathan's girlfriend and she has been talking to me lately about writing books and stuff and has is one of those people who has a genuine interest and she is actually um a a graphic designer anyways and one thing that we talked about was how much all creative fields really do have in common so you know like authors artists musicians whatever like unite or whatever because yeah there's just 
there we, we definitely have so much in common. I think that's the whole point I was trying to make with that whole statement. But yeah, like there is a point where, so here's the thing. I feel like when you're doing your typical desk job, like you're, you're doing your Excel sheets, you're doing even like your proofreading or whatever. I mean, that uses one side of your brain and then all the creative stuff uses the other side of the brain. The thing is like, if you're tired of work, if you're overworked, if you're, you know, just done with it. I feel like that is it the right side, the right side of your brain can still work. Your right side of the brain can still add the numbers. It can still input the data. You can still push your way through that. The problem is when the left side or the creative side of your brain burns out, you can't push through that. It's broken. Like you have to find a way. I think you have the brain sides reversed. I think the right side of your brain is the creative side. I th- yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. But like when the creative side is broken, like you can't, like I said, you can't push through it. It's creative burnout is different from other kinds of just like life or work burnout. Like it just turns off. Yeah. Well, and so this has been something that's interesting for me as somebody who does do this for like, uh, who doesn't always get to write what I want. I write for this app and I have to be X amount of creative for it because I do still expect me to build and flesh out the story and the characters and make it mm-hmm. fun and enjoyable and entertaining. And I don't get to burn out because I am responsible currently for feeding my family uh, paycheck wise. And so it's so interesting to like look at it from that perspective. You just kind of learn to compartmentalize it kind of more as work and almost more of a left brain thing when it's I mean it's probably still not I'm sure it's not but I don't know but um that's been something that I've had to learn to do but oh and I did want to this is a topic jump I'm sorry you guys I feel like we've been a little all over the place this episode but I wanted to say too before we end that for me one of the best things about being an author or a writer or whatever is getting to work with other creatives and getting to work with other writers because currently almost all of my friends I have like I have friends from high school I have friends from college but like the majority of my friends that I talk to like the most frequently they are all writers they're friends that I've made since becoming a writer and they're amazing like me yes like Charlie they're amazing people my my friends are all writing slash D&D people because they're the best people good times yeah there's a great community there really is a great community among creatives and among writers you do have to watch out for the ones who will stab you in the back to climb up the career ladder oh yes i have a few scars from those (laughs) but those so those do exist it's not all sunshines and rainbows but once you find your friends that you can trust like you're in a good spot Mm -hmm. absolutely hey i am ready with a pun are you ready for this pun i'm so ready what do you call a singer who got an organ transplant to strengthen her lungs what a venn diaphragm (gasps) Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that <laughs> I do love it. I'm glad that we got to podcast for you guys this week, even though, man, that did go in a lot of ways. So if you like this podcast, please uh, rate, review and subscribe. It helps us out a lot. We are hoping to do a fourth season. And beyond that, it kind of depends on how well our podcast is doing. Yeah. So tell your friends. Um, if you would like to sponsor with us, you can send us 
and email at yourmomwritesbooks at gmail.com. Or you can just send us any questions or comments, concerns you have. We are on um, Instagram and Facebook at Your Mom Writes Books. And Caitlin and I both are currently posting our daily word counts to kind of have a bump for Nano, which Mm -hmm. Caitlin is doing and I am not. I'm fake Nanoing. She's just finishing her book. Charlie always writes this much, so she doesn't have to nano. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to add, like, yeah, so we're at the point with this podcast where it's kind of like, I mean, I just want to be honest and transparent with you guys. It's kind of like, well, we're doing really good and we love the people that we get to interact with, um, but we could use more listeners if we want to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. So you sharing, you doing those things, like, could really help us if, if you want this podcast to keep happening. Podcasting actually is very similar to writing in that it's like the top 1% of podcasters are the ones who actually make money doing it. Like Downloads Rights, we're like the top 10%, but even then it's not enough. Well, and we're not... And we're not necessarily looking to like make money off the podcast. We're pretty much looking to cover our costs. We would really like to cover our costs. So yeah, um, that's where we are. And we, but we do appreciate you guys, even if, you know, it ends whatever after season three, it was still a great ride and uh, we've had a lot of fun. So yeah, we still, and I don't freak out. We still have a few more episodes to do before we end the season. Our seasons are randomly uh, 23 episodes. (laughs) So (laughs) we have like, I don't know, like seven or eight more after this, but yeah, I'm Charlie and Holmberg. You can find me at charlieandholmberg.com or on Instagram at CN Holmberg or Facebook at CN Holmberg or Twitter at CN Holmberg, but that's an updates only account. Um, you can also find my music at Charlie Holmberg Music on YouTube and my books are at the library. <laughs> <laughs> hey, support your local library, guys. We love libraries. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Love you. Bye. Bye.